TP, Benefit in Kind, Plug-in Car Grant. Have you missed an acronym seminar? Don't worry. Um, it's not just going to be a glossary of terms this morning. Um, so my name is Matthew Walters. Um, so I'm Head of Consultancy Services for Lease Plan UK. Um, and I'm joined by my colleague, Caroline. Caroline? Good morning. I'm Caroline Sandor. I'm Specialist Consultant at Lease Plan. And so this morning, what we'd really like to do is there's some reflection really on um, what was um, a, a quite a quite standout budget for many reasons. So obviously we were the government were, were lining up and having to deal with the COVID-19 crisis. Um, so on the 11th of March, we, we, we had a budget and there was quite a lot of fleet stuff in there, which we should reflect on. But very quickly after the budget, we found ourselves in unprecedented times. And so today we'd like to have a look at what happened post-budget, some of the things that you might have missed, um, because we did have some iterations, I think it's fair to say, to come after the Red Book this time, um, but it's worthwhile highlighting. Um, and and what, what, we've, what we've seen up until today, really, from a legislative perspective, and we'll have a look at some of the things and some of the lessons that we've learned in, in the meantime, and we'll have some reflection on, on what's to come. But I guess from a quick recap, so what happened in the budget on 11th of March that was needed to, that, that, that Fleet should be paying attention to? Um, so we had some changes to, obviously we had changes to EV support, but it was good to see that the government continued the electric vehicle support. Um, albeit with a subsequent reduction in the EV car grant, um, which, again, was, was iterative when it came. So they announced the continuation, but then they, they brought in this, this vehicle cap um, um, from expensive vehicles and, and brought that down. So it was good to see that support. So, Caroline, what's, what, was, what was your reflection on the day as we sat there listening to Rishi Sunak's first budget? I think it delivered most of the things that we wanted, but not all of the things we wanted. I think that there were some concerns over um, the sequencing of, of releasing. So there was um, little or next to no mention of the change in the grant. Um, and we continue to have some challenges over absolute clarity on um, how the grant is applied, you know, what it, what is the price that's going to be used. Um, and that continues, and, and we will talk about that a bit later. Um, but I think it was good in as much as we've got the BIK tables for an extended period. We've got very, very low BIK for ultra-low emission vehicles, which is fantastic. So it did deliver in terms of certainty and clarity around how our BIK is going to work for the next few years. Yeah, I, I think it's that reflection on the, I think, to say lowest ever company car tax rates. I think it's the first time in, in ever that company cars, or certainly in, in recent taxation, that a company car can have a zero rated company car tax allocated to it in the case of an EV. So zero, zero percent um, for the 2021 tax year, which of course, for those of you who are fleet managers uh, listening, that of course means the zero class 1A national insurance costs associated with that vehicle. So it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. And as we explore these slides going through today, that, that is the running theme as to where the government is going now. Um, and we reflect on it later, but I think pretty quickly, we're gonna start, us as fleet consultants will certainly start having cons uh, conversations with customers 
that are along the lines of wanting to maintain diesels and petrols in policy rather than wanting to introduce electric vehicles into policy. So it's nuanced, but I think we're going to start to see that shift later on this year. Any other thoughts, Caroline? No, and certainly that all the conversations that we're having with clients at the moment is all about EVs, and, and we will touch upon that um, regularly throughout today's call. Um, I think there are still some other things that we would like to see. So um, a few weeks ago, there was rumours of a scrappage scheme coming. Obviously, in yesterday's summer statement, mini statement, mini budget, however we want to call it, um, there was nothing about scrappage. Um, we saw the eat out to help out um, and the reduction in VAT for food and hospitality, but nothing that supports automotive, which I think many of us will be slightly disappointed that we perhaps they've missed an opportunity to to do more whether that will come obviously we are seeing change at an unprecedented rate so let's be hopeful and um and see what else rishi might come out with in his magic bag of tricks <laughs> yeah i certainly think i i have to say i i you know i think the government efforts certainly from a financial perspective no matter what your politics in terms of overall financial support should be applauded and yeah, I too shared the disappointment yesterday, and, and wasn't it strange for those of you watching to to see a parliamentary address as as important as the budget is, with next to nobody in the chamber? Um, took me a moment to realise what was actually going on, and of course it's COVID, and there's the dis there's the distancing, whereas normally there's 600 MPs crowding into um, to take part in PMQs and then give uh, the Chancellor a, a bit of a ribald ribbing over the course of the day. So. Very good lack of fleet support. It would have been nice to see VAT extended um, in some shape, way or form to vehicles. Um, but again, lobbying still continues. So, you know, we still have a disparity in capital allowance treatment between purchasing EVs and leasing companies, leasing those EVs to companies like yourselves. Um, so there's still that disparity. And of course, there's lots of consultation documents that are in the ether and floating around at the moment. Um, that we still don't have a response on. Probably the biggest one of those was the future of company car tax, which um, was was due in at the end of January and the consultation period finished. And we've not yet seen any feedback on, on what that looks like. But as we go through the slides today, um, you'll start to see that there are some pretty big issues in flight. And we can't, the, the government cannot just take individual line items and address them now and they need to join that as their strategy. So what have we learned? So from, from a lease plan perspective, you know, Caroline and I were um, eagerly looking at the budget with our colleague Dom Serlis on, on the 11th and translating it as we always do and went to press. Um, we did a, one of our uh, Fleet Navigator podcasts on the Friday. So Caroline and I were in the studio in Bristol on Friday recording that podcast. And then we didn't see the office again. It was a very strange set of circumstances that meant as of March the 13th, we, we were in lockdown as a business, followed shortly by the government a week later. So what what has the last three months, what has the last 114 or so days looked like? And, and, and what have we been seeing? Caroline, your your perspective, that that, that kind of overarching view, what are, what are the biggest things that we've seen? I think everybody pressed pause. So a lot of extension activity, most people went into an order freeze um, whilst we understood what might be coming next and the impact on fleets. Um, obviously, we are now starting to, to get back up to running to some degree of normality now. 
Um, but I think there are some really key themes coming out. So we will talk a little bit more about some survey data that we had in um, later. But I think the switch to EV is now starting to gather pace. I think people are starting to understand how this might impact their fleet size in terms of reductions, looking at different sorts of vehicles, but also looking at that needs population and recognising that whilst there remain some truly essential users where they cannot do their job without a vehicle, there are many others where most of their driving might have been for internal meetings or customer face-to-face -face meetings or face-to-face um, -face delivery of training. You know, that environment has changed dramatically and it's, it's reasonable to assume we'll never go back to where we were before. Um, and interestingly, I saw a stat earlier today around motor vehicle usage. It's now at 83% of what it was pre-pandemic, but rail is only 13. So we've seen articles about people buying cars to avoid mm -hmm. using public transport. So we'll see that in the short term as well. But, you know, let, let's be frank, this is a fundamental change to the way that businesses operate with increased usage of Zoom or Teams or any kind of video call application. And people are now used to that. Um, that has become the way that we conduct business for the large part. So it's absolutely reasonable to assume that mileage is going to drop, people's requirement for vehicles is going to drop, but also people will be looking to say, well, now I'm doing less miles and my, my trip pattern has changed. Perhaps I can get to EV quicker than I might otherwise have done. And certainly clients that we're talking to at the moment, projects that we've got going on, it is all about how quickly can we switch to EV and again, to your point earlier, Matt, it's, it's not saying, well, we're diesel and petrol. How do we start to bring EV in? It's, it's completely turned on its head and it's let's go to EV and it's diesel and petrol by exception. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting split we, that, that we saw this morning. Um, not sure whether that's people being nervous about um, the, the public transport. I certainly think that it seems to be a, a distancing now between the, the advisory groups in terms of what they're continuing to say, reference COVID and some of what we're seeing from the government. And, and obviously the government have a role in the economy and, and, and trying to keep things moving, um, which again, I think they've done as good a job as, as perhaps any government could. Um, but obviously we've then got the advisory guidance in terms of when to wear face masks um, and this it's this ongoing struggle between what is a legal requirement and what is guidance, but it's a, it's an interesting stat from the from the rail piece, and I you know we are having these conversations now, as you quite rightly say, you know what is business critical, what is needs, what is perk, what does that look like, how can we get to EV, you know fleets are recognising obviously very quickly that we're now in a situation where we've gone from a 16% tax bracket to a zero percent tax bracket which of course makes salary sacrifice um, very, very attractive for, for, for providing these vehicles either in a needs or a, or, a, or a critical fleet. So again, it's looking at that sizing. It's actually, what do we need? Um, and, you know, as you quite rightly say, it, it comes down to that trip mileage. So, you know, we, we're used to talking about how many miles does a vehicle do? And actually now we're talking about, well, what behaviors are we seeing? How is the driver using the vehicle? Is it lots of short trips? Could they use public access charging? Is it a home charge point? What what does that look like? And yeah, video video conferencing. I mean, obviously we saw as well the government. It was interesting because at the time, 
it was seen as an announcement of, of a, a change in the way that drivers could not pay benefit and kind company car tax while we were in lockdown. Um, but of course, really, actually, all that was happening was HMRC was saying, well, of course, you can return your keys and after 28 days, you won't pay. But that was simply a clarification of existing rules. Um, operational issues. What did, what did we see, Caroline, and the frustration <laughs> on the day when that came out? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was huge frustration because um, those of you on the call that actually operate fleets, the, the thought of separating key from car probably um, gave everybody a, a bit of a shudder as to all of the other operationals um, issues that would ensue with keys going missing, you know, cars not being started for weeks and weeks on end and breaking down and et cetera, et cetera. And it, it created a, a bit of a hurly-burly of hassle, I think, for fleets at the time. Um, I think some fleets did manage to, um, to take vehicles back, but clearly where offices were closed, that wasn't possible. Um, so I think that will be a challenge for some fleets um, in making sure those P11D submissions are correct for the end of the tax year um, so that it reflects what we are legally obliged to report on, um, but also takes into consideration those that were able to return their car for a period. But, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's just such a weird experience to go through. Whoever would have thought that we would be looking at cars being parked up for weeks and weeks on end and keys and stuff being thrown back at fleet managers. Yeah, I think mine's been about 12 miles in the last 114 days. Yeah. And I normally do about 25,000 miles a year. It's very, very strange. I think the other thing I would, uh, my own personal reflection as well from some of those, so, you know, we, we've, we're regularly in the press as, as, as least plan around our mental, first, uh, mental health first aid activity um, and our commitment therein. And, you know, myself, I'm a mental health first aider, so I'm one of 18 that the business has got. And you can't underestimate the impact on people's mental health as well. So, you know, people all of a sudden that are used to a social context either from a cultural or simply because that's what they're used to from an office environment or all of a sudden being at home. And whilst video calls have very much become the norm um, and are welcome and it's nice to see people's faces, that human interaction has actually hit people pretty hard. Um, being 114 days in a, in a cream room two by two, um, I'm lucky enough to have a separate bedroom for my office. But, you know, many people who are living at home, families, relatives, siblings, brothers, sisters, they find it really, really tough. Um, and we shouldn't underestimate as fleet managers, as HR, as HR individuals, or as organizations, what the emotional and, and psychological impact of, of that is, as we start returning to, and I hate the expression, but the new normal and, and, and what that looks like. So let's have a think about how the fleet industry is going to change. So this is a question that I'm getting asked a lot in my client interactions at the moment. When, it, when will we be back to normal? When will we be in a state where actually from a fleet supply and a fleet operation perspective, when will we be back to normal? Um, and I think some interesting, really interesting stats on this slide to have a look at, which were from the Association of Fleet Professionals. Um, Caroline, do you, want to, do you want to step through the numbers? Because there's some really interesting stats there. Yeah, this was taken from a survey um, sort of early springtime. So, so right as, as COVID-19 um, was causing us to deliver changes, um, 
I think it plays to some of the points we raised earlier. So travel bans in place, most people looking to extend freeze orders. Um, interestingly, at that point in time, fleet managers saying they expected to slow down their EV strategies. I would suspect that that was more a reaction to pressing pause on activity at that point in time, because that is absolutely not what we are seeing now. No. Again, as we are starting to spin back up into more activity, um, everybody is wanting to move to EV and move quickly. Um, I think it, most fleet managers took the opportunity to see how they could add value, how they could improve their internal processes. So whilst things were at yeah. a, for, for many at a quieter phase, looking at you know how do we use our data, what do we actually have, can I do some cleansing, um, and start to work on strategies to, to bring their fleet out of lockdown and look at the changes that met, might need to have. Um, not at all surprisingly, the vast majority of people looking at fewer face-to-face -face meetings and probably that will be a permanent change. Um, in terms of tender activity, people wanting to make savings but not necessarily looking at changing supply. Um, I think there will be fleets that will look to test the marketplace and test that what they have remains the best, um, but that's the natural cycle of events. Um, I think it's interestingly, at the start of lockdown, we started to see people be quite concerned around things like manufacturer lead times and discounts and how COVID-19 would impact pricing model and, and how much we, mm -hmm. we get, you know, value, yeah. price, cost, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it certainly, some of the scare scores that were around a few months ago, we're not seeing lead times, you know, jump from three months to 12 months. That hasn't materialised to a large extent. And um, no. obviously there is still continual change. And as we look forward, dare I say that, to what's <laughs> going to happen at the end of the year in terms of Brexit, obviously this is a situation that everybody will continue to be worried about and continue to monitor to make sure that when we're ordering cars, we're still going to get to see them within our lifetime. Um, I think we're, you know, EVs is absolutely a theme for today and it won't be a surprise to, to any of you when we will continue to drop that in and we will go into some more whole life cost and some facts and stats a little bit later on. Um, we're also, just to signpost to you, we've got a forthcoming webinar in another couple of weeks where we will do a bit more of a deep dive into strategy and change, um, different policy scheme designs. We'll be looking at how things like the change of mileage might impact scheme design. So how yeah. effective is ECO going to be in the long term? What do fleets need to start thinking about? Because clearly a lot of the triggers that made ECO a success for fleets don't necessarily apply anymore. Indeed. And I think, yeah, I think the mileage, I think the mileage pressure is, is, is a good one to raise. Um, and actually we, we, you know, we've had a question about, um, already about when is a good time to review um, and I would say you know this is this is live today guys so please do ask questions on on the marketing mailbox and you know we've got time at the end and we'll make sure we've got time to answer as many of those questions that come in as possible um, and I think from from my perspective is the answer is now is look at what you're currently doing look at what you're seeing you will probably already have a strategy as to what your business is going to start to look like from a number of different scenarios and businesses of course have built scenarios as to what does a normal look like or is it going to be normal less 20 percent is it what what does this all mean for me um, and as mileage is change 
um, as patterns change? Um, is it an opportunity to look at territory again? And brave statement for a leasing company to make, but is it an opportunity to look at whether a car is necessary again? So is it is it naturally is it actually necessary for your perk driver to have that vehicle, um, or is there another way that you can facilitate that benefit, moving them into an electric vehicle, dispelling some of the myths around charge points, um, ranges, those kind of things. So engage with is with your supplier engage with your fleet company your manufacturers your dealers to understand what that's looking like but i like you caroline i was really surprised actually just how quickly the dealers have spun back up and the manufacturers have spun back up and we're not we're not seeing that kind of shock horror you're not going to be able to get a vehicle for eight or 12 months because nobody's been making anything um it's almost like they did some good planning Dare I say, maybe they did, and and you know, we we perhaps um, we've been in the industry a long time, might remain a little bit cynical, but it, we can at least take some comfort that so far we're not seeing any indications of of major issues in terms of supply. And yes, some vehicles will take a bit longer, and we're going into into summer and factory shutdown and factories changing over their models. So you know, we might see, still see some bumps in that, but certainly. As things stand, it looks okay, dare I say. Indeed. Indeed. So we should probably have a look at some of the budget specifics. Um, I'm just waiting for my side to refresh. There we go. So future changes. So let's actually have a look at some of the detail that was that was that was actually in the budget. Um so we've got uh, some first-year allowances for business cars we need to talk about and go through. Um, and we've got some, sorry, guys, there's a slight disparity between what I think should be on screen and what is on screen. So recap on budget highlights. So first of all, we've, we've already reflected on it, the benefit and kind changes. So percentage rates so that in the government, they, they, they listened, um, which is great. Um, so there's, there's, there's a number of us that are part of the BVRLA. Um, and, and some of the lobbying that we've done, both as individual organisations and as our industry bodies, and they listened and they gave us then they gave us certainty. And so we know where we're going to be all the way up till 2025. And the, and the welcome news, of course, is that as well as a percentage reduction um, to cater for WLTP, we can debate whether it was enough. My personal view is no, it wasn't. But you know, it was a reduction year on year, which was great. And they flattened EVs completely. So we've got a, a 0% this year, followed by 1, 2, and then all rates are held in the 24-25 tax year, which gives us all certainty when we are thinking about policy. Do I go three-year? Do I go four-year? Do I even look at five-year as I you know, try and give myself some bandwidth? Or as I'm moving towards an EV policy, as we've said, it's going to become the norm, should I actually be looking at shorter term to get myself and get my staff into the latest technology as quickly as possible? So that was absolutely welcome. Um, and, I, and I think it gives fleet certainty, it gives cost certainty, and it helps leasing companies in their conversations with their customers. So expensive, expensive car supplement. Um, Caroline, and EV grants, what, what do we make of that on the day? Well, I think, as we said earlier, that was a, a little post-budget bombshell that, that snuck out at about five to five that evening around 
um, how the grants are going to change. And the expensive car supplement, it is what it is, but in real terms, it, we are starting to see that change, that overall total cost over the contract period. So that is one to be really mindful of if you've got a lot of cars at that end. I think on the vehicle grant side, um, the one thing to highlight is that list price, and we've got an ongoing query around whether things that affect the powertrain will then affect the list price and what that actually means. Um, so that's something that, again, working with BVLA, we continue to campaign on to make sure we have absolute clarity. Um, this whole change has, has been a bit of a thorn in our side in terms of not having that clarity and having that drip feed of information. Um, but at the moment, it's certainly a stake in the ground from government supporting BIK, which is going to pull people into EV more and more and more, um, and some continuation of, of grants for the next couple of years to continue to bolster that end of the market. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting evening and morning racing around trying to get VRB adjusted and grants adjusted because unusually there was nothing in the red book on it, and it was OLED that made the announcement not Red Book and not Richie and not the part, not Revenue or Treasury. It came out through ALEP, which was very strange. Um, and yes, we do still have this ongoing, you know, they've, there was a clarification on, on what is list price, including options, that it was not including options. Then it was options, including it, options that don't affect the powertrain. And we're still waiting for clarification on what that means. Is that weight um, or is that if I'm towing something, um, is it if I plug in a toaster, I jest, but you know, what, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, so yeah, we are, we are still struggling with that. So what about future changes? Um, so in terms of what we're seeing, uh, so first year allowance for business cars, um, obviously we're seeing some changes coming through. I think one of the big ones that I want to highlight is the lease rental restriction. So if there's one takeaway for fleet managers and, and fleet operators today, it's this lease rental restriction. So be on alert from next year, the leasing disallowance and the, and the first year allowance restrictions will drop from 110 where they currently are today to 50 grams per kilometer next year. So that's the biggest drop we've ever seen. So we saw it when it was introduced, it came in at 160 in 2009. It dropped to 140, it dropped to 130, it dropped to 110. It's now going to go from 110 to 50. So that means that pretty much now, anything except plugins and EVs from next April will be in the 85% pool. So you'll have a, 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 a permanent lease restriction and those vehicles will become more expensive to operate. Your thoughts, Caroline? Yeah, it's, enough, it's enough, a big Enough notice, do we think? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> no, but it's. I think, and again, it's it's one that everybody needs to be really mindful of how it's going to impact their fleet. And and yes, it's next April, but you want to make sure that in terms of planning for your renewal cycles and understanding the impact, um, is do really pay attention to what that means for for your fleet fleet profile and what you're going to be ordering over the next few months for deliveries into the um, the next tax year because for some fleets that's obviously going to have a bigger impact than others but it's it's such a big change it's a it's a real flag to say do have a look at the impact for your fleet mm. and you know you can you can do that modeling now you, you can look at that now 
Um, you know, if you if you talk to your lease co, if you talk to your provider, um, you know, we can put this in, in the modeling tools that we use and set go live dates of next year. So we can model these scenarios in line in line with EVs. So we have, you know, as you can see on the slide there, we have put the company, the new company contact tables up. Um, we're not going to go through them because nobody wants to go line by line through um, a huge amount of, of numbers. They are in our fleet funding guide. Uh, which you can get on insights.co.uk. By the way, guys, yes, we will be sending these slides out um, uh, with some supporting numbers as appropriate when we when we start looking at some of the some of the whole life cost pieces. Because I think it's worthwhile looking. And one of the things I, I, we were really keen to do is is explore this EV narrative because we are still seeing until you get into the nuts and bolts and the muck and bullets of what is what is actually the cost of an EV to companies? We still hear this, you know, an EV is an expensive proposition. So, star of the moment. Um, so this is Polestar Two. For those of you who aren't familiar with, with the look and feel, um, it's a little bit squished on the slide. But this is, you know, this is an SUV. This is in the luxury segment. It's about 50k. Um, it's absolutely stunning. It's a stunning drive. It's a fantastic range. Um, it's very, very well kitted out, and it's and it's a it's about five hundred and seventy pound a month. So there will be some of you on the phone that kind of say, okay, or on the call that look at that and say, that is that expensive for for that car when we, you know, when we've looked at iPace rentals, when when we've looked at um, some of the other rentals that are out there. I'm not really sure that's a that's a healthy debate. I think what you have to do from an EV perspective. And Caroline and I and, and, and Dom and other colleagues in the industry, it's one of our small hills on which we die is this whole life cost proposition that you must absolutely look at the whole life cost of those vehicles to, to make them make sense. And when you look at those, if you look at it in that context, so if you look at Polestar 2 as an EV, that vehicle is £738 whole life cost a month. So. That's the rental. That's the that's the energy in the case of an EV, motor insurance, leasing disallowance restrictions, any class one AMIT costs. It's also worthwhile saying that these are WLTP values, and whereas under the you know U European driving cycles, the NEDC cycles, we would normally, as a body, we would reduce the MPGs and the consumptions of those vehicles quite dramatically because, as you all know. You know, stating an MPG of 72 miles a gallon on a on a diesel under NEDC was was largely nonsense. So we would always move those MPGs down to be reflected. What we're seeing is WLTP ranges are somewhere between five percent to seven percent different from what's on the ticket. So they're really realistic. So these numbers have as is the MPG's been skewed by five percent. And what I would draw your attention to is two columns to the right. So two columns to the right, we have an Audi A3 diesel, and that's coming in at £788. So £50 a month, whole life cost, more expensive than that Polestar. What are your thoughts, Caroline? I think this graph in particular, and, you know, this is what we live and breathe every day, but I think it, it really does flag the criticality of looking at every single penny that's involved in the running of a vehicle over its contract period. This will be, for some fleets, a, a big change where allowances may be set against rentals or, or other values. Yep. Um, and 
just demonstrate the importance of looking at all of those others. So your fuel, your NI, the impact of leasing disallowances. And this graph that, that Don created really, really brings it to life. And if you look at where these diesels, as Matt said, how relatively expensive the A3 looks, if you look at all of the others versus potentially more attractive vehicles at a whole life cost point, you know, there are some EVs out there that are cracking value for money, provided that your policy and your scheme design is set up to bring in all of those costs so that you are looking at every pound spent over the contract period. Um, because it is a real it's a real shift, you know, it's it's focusing on balancing a higher rental against significant reductions in fuel MNI. Yeah, and you you manage you've managed fleets for many years. So you know firsthand how complex it is to communicate what is a really difficult change from a as as I joined as I joined the industry probably in 0405, still seeing P eleven D based policies. Um and we and we can all, you know, criticize those and then it makes them rental, then rental including the recoverable VAT. Um all of those changes are tangible and relatively straightforward and obvious. Whole life cost isn't necessarily that case because it's predicated on drivers understanding a, a lot more about the operation of their vehicle. It isn't just I get a vehicle, I pay tax, I put fuel in it. Actually, at the point of choice, it's what am I doing? What, what are those levers as I'm choosing my vehicle? What's driving that whole life cost? But EVs, you know, that graph, as, as long as, as little time ago as 18 months we were struggling to um, demonstrate that the, the absolute even the whole life cost of EVs we were still kind of seeing the numbers be very very close um, but actually I, I when I you know I looked at the numbers you've got a Passat GTE on there as well at 818 um, you know 50 pound a month difference in cost between an A3 diesel probably running at something like a 21,000 pound discounted list to a £50,000 Polestar 2. Um, and those Polestar 2s, by the way, they are ready. They're, they're ready to ship. Um, so we, there's, there's an allocation for November. So ordering now, we've got about 400 of them um, allocated, as, as have a number of others out there. And they are a really, really good product, um, either from a job need perspective. You can look at them from a job need perspective. You really can. Um, and if I look at the next slide, I'll, I'll, I'll show you why. So if we take that, £570 a month um, rental or, or restricted rental that we talked about and we talk about a £738 whole life cost actually when you look at that as an EV salary sacrifice framework um, actually because of the because of some of the benefits um, actually the gross sacrifice to the driver becomes £645 so that's cash out of you know out of the front end salary um, the design that we've put here the, the wrapper that we've kind of suggested is an 80-20 split. So not only does this car not cost you any money to provide to an employee, there's no cash allowances in play here at all. This is just a straight provision of the car. So the individual um, employer can still save £20 a month, actually make a saving and provide that car at £395 net cost to the driver for that Polestar 2. That's based on a fully insured cost for three years and it includes the charge point. And all of a sudden, for me, Caroline, I don't know about you, but that just crystallizes in a single slide why green salary sacrifice schemes are, it, are where it's at. It, it's where we need to move to as a fleet. 
and certainly a lot of the conversations that we're having in terms of projects and consultancy work um, and it's not just for, for perk fleets or fleets that might have been cash or looking at all employee schemes it, it's across the board and I think companies are looking at this and recognizing there's a real opportunity to provide employees with a better proposition to provide employees that have maybe previously taken cash something that might attract them back in but to also start to address their own net zero initiatives so virtually every company is looking at how they can reduce their carbon over the next five or ten years and some of them have some very very challenging targets to hit particularly mm. around their transportation there's a, there's a real opportunity here to to make improvements for those that have traditionally been in company cars but to also do something that helps cash and all other employees so it's it's bringing the wider employee base on that journey to EV and giving them access to EV vehicles that they might otherwise not been able to afford for the next you know two three years until EVs in the retail marketplace start to come down in cost yeah so we, we, we've looked at some specifics, we've looked at the budget, we've looked at what it means. Um, we should probably think about, um, we, we, we look at the next slide and we've, we've actually bannered this around expecting delays. Um, and I think one of the challenges now is that there's, there were an awful lot, I think there was something like 13 consultation documents that had a, a fleet industry bent kind of towards the first, first quarter of this year. Um, and they are, you know, we, they still need to be produced. And we still need to see some of the feedback and, and some of the opinions come out of revenue and treasury, particularly around future of company car taxation. Um, my personal view is that, you know, we should all expect delays. Um, Caroline, Caroline got to the B word before me this morning. You know, we do have a Brexit challenge now um, for, the, for anybody that thinks there's still the possibility of an extension. There isn't. Um, we are past the legal deadline in Article 50 that says either side can request an extension. So, we are out on the 31st of December, um, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, we can, we're not going to get into debates about World Trade Organization rules or anything like that. But the next six months, you know, wow. And as I say, the next six months, the government needs to focus not only on ensuring that we don't see a second spike in the COVID-19 pandemic, but also that we negotiate a really decent deal for Brexit so that we're not coming out with, with concerns at the end of December. And that's a tough challenge. So what would I rather the government do? Pay attention to very specific consultation documents that are out there, or would I rather they focus on the big ticket items? Um, I'm hoping that most people on the on the call will probably say, please focus on the big ticket items, or at least both. <laughs> um, and and I guess you know when we think about what's also to come. So what's happened and what's coming? You know, there's there's lots of things that are in the pipeline. Um, Caroline, highlights for you on the what's happened and what's coming. Is, is it green number plates or is it what's going to happen with road user tolling? Um, I would say I'm far more interested in road user tolling and the improvement <laughs> of the charging infrastructure than a green number plate. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the impact. And, and I think maybe that's possibly a more retail-y type of initiative rather than a, a fleet initiative. Um, but I think the one thing that fleets are focused on is is range anxiety has, has largely fallen away. And if you look at the portfolio yeah. of product that's coming this year and next year, it will cease to be a problem for the vast majority of people. But charging 
still remains the area of concern. So we know from historical EV users, the vast majority are charging at home. But again, as people start to roll out and, and go through that transition, that's going to become more of a challenge. So where fleets are looking at how they do transition to EVs, they are looking at the pockets of population where they cannot charge at home or the locale that they're in doesn't support huge numbers of public charge points as things stand. So it's almost, as we mentioned earlier on, it's, well, yes, the majority of people can go to EV, but we still need to make sure that others are catered for in advance of being able to have a charge point at home or having sufficient local support um, as that charge point um, infrastructure starts to improve even further. Yeah, and I think one of the, one, and it, we, we were, we've talked about this a couple of times in the presentation about the need to look at a bigger picture. Um, and for me, one of the one of the critical pieces as as range as ranges increase on these vehicles, there was an article today actually about um, a company that that has just patented a synthetic battery, so not using um, precious earth metals at all, um, which is which is really really exciting. Um, I think it's probably a way off, um, but that that's a that's a you know I'm not going to go into super geek mode, but it's a nylon substrate. It looks really really cool. Um, but one of the things that people are interested in is that there's this concept of if I'm driving, if I'm driving my ICE, if I'm driving my internal combustion engine vehicle, I know I can get to a fuel station. I don't need to worry about it. I want to get to the same point in an EV where I just get in it and I just do what I need to do. The, what, the great thing that we're seeing with smart energy, with energy management, integrated apps, integrated into the likes of Google, integrated into the likes of, of, of navigation software, the app that actually ties it all together or the aggregator that brings it together to say, actually, when I get up in the morning, my smart charge point with my vehicle to grid charge point, it knows where I'm going. You know, this sounds sci-fi, but it's not, ladies and gentlemen. It knows where I'm going in the morning because it can see the postcode that I need to get to. So it will give me enough charge to get there. It will know whether I need to go to, a, to, to, to stop and, you know, top up and get some more energy. It will be integrated so it can see whether the charge point's gone down or it's been pinched or my session's been taken. Or when we move, this is a little further off to connected vehicles, so cars talking to cars and vans talking to vans indeed. This is where they will then be able to see that there's been an accident because they can see from the telemetry on the vehicle 15 miles ahead that there's a problem and it'll start diverting off. So this concept of, I just want to use my EV, I don't want to have to worry, um, is actually not too far away. And, you know, smart businesses, smart lease codes, smart fleet operators now are looking at that and saying, well, how does that track? How are you, change, how are you training your staff to talk to our drivers? How are you taking our drivers through that journey so that the role of the fleet manager doesn't become again a support for their drivers really welcome the new build home piece so this new build homes to be fitted with ev charge points yes it's good news um but some of you will probably be aware of some of the infrastructure restrictions that we've got so we only pretty much in the uk 90 percent is, is two-phase power not three-phase two-phase power can only support 7.2 kilowatts nothing above um so you know, my my encouragement, again, another small hill, 
to government is you need to be looking at the infrastructure as well, because it's great that we're suddenly going to see a prevalence of 7.2 kilowatt charge points installed in homes. What about solar panel you know, legislation? Why aren't you putting solar panels on roofs? Why aren't you doing more from the green perspective? And why aren't you ensuring, if we think about a Tesla X, you know, nice, nice picture of it there, it's a 95 kilowatt battery. You plug that into a 7.2 kilowatt charge point, it's going to take 12, 13 hours to charge it. So again, it's that thinking about what you're doing. And also, it really is, and it's, it's very difficult, it's very divisive, that road user tolling, and there's a, there's a very well-trailed statement that any government that introduces road user tolling will lose their next election, and any party that proposes it won't get into power. Well, I'm sorry, it's more than party politics now. You know, there has to be a realisation and a, and a sense from us as fleet operators and uh, industry uh, people that the reality is that as EVs um, proliferate, that fuel duty will go down. Now, we can argue the vagaries of whether fuel duty should be the makeup it is or not. It's, it's just one of those things. Government revenues will go down. Something like to the tune of 30, 40 billion is, is the latest thinking or, or think tank stuff on what it could mean in terms of loss. Where do you get that money from? You know, government only have one revenue source, it's taxation. So what do you do? How do you deal with it? Because the answer is not, I'm afraid, just sticking more and more vehicle excise duty tariffs onto diesel and petrol cars. That's not the option. Caroline, anything more from you before we move to questions? Um, no, I don't think so, actually. I think we've covered off everything there. I think you know, for people, that whole charging bit is interesting. And just to your point around how we can be a little bit more self-sufficient. So we've seen some real innovation from some fleets where they are pretty much generating their own energy. And yes, that might be specific to what they're able to do with their fleet types, but using solar panels, using power walls, um, there are some really, really interesting things. Good places to look at that would be things like um, the EST Fleet Heroes Awards of last year. To look at people that have really set about the challenge and done things quite differently. Um, and whilst many of us on the call will be running you know, fairly normal fleets, there's always something that you can learn from those innovators. So I'd encourage you to, to keep reading. Obviously, we publish regularly and we cover all these things in webinars. Um, but there is a lot out there that we can learn from. I think to the point earlier, and there was a couple of questions around when's the right time to review, the, the time is now. And to look at what your future needs are going to be and how you can prepare for it. There was another question around supply. We know we're in a bit of a pinch point phase at the moment in terms of insufficient product at the cheaper end of the scale. So, yes, you've got Golf, you've got Corsa E, but there's not quite the breadth of EV product that you have at you know the A4 and the SUV range quite yet. However, if you look at the portfolio of product that's coming in the next 18 months, you know the the number of new models coming is almost overwhelming. Mm. Um, and as things stand, there are no red flags to say that we need to be massively concerned about supply. Obviously, Brexit and negotiations are going to be absolutely crucial. Um, as to whether we have a smooth transition or whether we have a bumpy transition. Um, so that's one we're just going to have to keep monitoring and it's impossible to forecast where we might be come December at the moment. But in terms of production supply, yes, I do think there is enough out there. 
um, and it's only going to improve as we move into next year. Yeah, and you mentioned publications, and, and it's worthwhile saying that, you know, we've referenced it a couple of times and, and used a couple of pages from the guide. So we, we regularly publish our fleet funding and taxation guide. Um, we haven't done it for a couple of years because there's not been much to, there's not really been that much to say. Um, so we have published it again this year, the 2021 tax year. So this guide goes through funding methodologies. It goes through, you know, there's some list busting in there, but it, it's a comprehensive and we, we try and, um, de-tech it as much as we possibly can from a technical tax point of view, but really explaining how fleet operates in, 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 in this world and this environment and what you should be thinking about. Okay, so if we, if we move to questions, um, there is one question I think it was asked as part of the question before, and we've, we've referenced it as well, is, is the cafe regulation piece. Um, a real challenge for us, I have to say. So the ECJ and the EU have ruled um, because the manufacturers wanted them to do so that we will not contribute to EU emissions targets for the manufacturers post the end of the year. And that's a concern. So, you know, is it, is it a long-term concern constraint for supply? Is it a short-term constraint for supply? Um, and again, I think in discussion, it's probably a short-term concern. I mean, at the moment, most EVs will outsell demand by something like four to one. It's coming down. Um, you know, we're seeing lead time on some of the most popular vehicles. So Kona, for example, is now on a on a roughly standard lead time. And manufacturers will get there. You know, I3 is, is pretty well touted um, in terms of its, in, it, its terms, the Volkswagen ID range. Um, they, they, they know that supply will be sorted out by 2021. This is a car that's sold out in 20 minutes. In terms of its allocation, um, I think we put it on as lease plan in the morning, and we took it off again in the afternoon. And I think we probably managed to book about two because um, it, it just it just went to retail. So yes, it's a challenge, and yes, it needs to be thought about. Um, but we shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be enforcing some sort of supply to manufacturers, and nor should we be putting some sort of tariffs on manufacturers. Or um, it, it's about working with them to ensure that the market is understood. Um, perhaps coming up with our own cafe regulations, it's something that is being proposed as part of those uh, Brexit negotiations. How that is enforced in law, um, I'm no lawmaker, so I can't comment, but it's a fair point. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concern. What I would say is experience shows us that there is enough to do when introducing EVs into your fleets to start now. So don't let any supply concerns or supply issues stop the work that you need to be doing to look at your policy and kind of say, well, mileage is changing, the world's changed. Um, you know, EVs look absolutely fantastic. They're great in a salary sacrifice environment. What do I do? Because you can just assume that by the time you've done that piece of work with your provider, that you'll start seeing, you know, EVs coming into that better supply. Um, Okay, good question. So a, there appears to be a lot of volatility in pricing. Is the industry having jitters over the RV value of EV and hybrids? Um, that's, that's a really interesting question. Uh, so we, I can comment on, on what we are seeing. So we are, we are very balanced and, and we've taken quite a flat approach. Um, so our RVs, we allow for battery sizes, for example. So 
um, we will have a more positive RV outlook on a, on a larger battery size than, than we will on a smaller battery size. So companies are, lease codes are taking um, steps to ensure that, you know, if you think about what we do as a business, we, we have to sell these things at the end of the contract. And it's a risk, you know, there's no small violins playing for us here. It's a risk-based industry. That's what we do. That's our job. And we, when we have to forecast these things appropriately. So we have to make sure that, 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 we're, that we're pricing those RVs accordingly. So you as fleet operators get those benefits of that, you know, 30 odd people sat in a room thinking about this quite, quite critically. Um, but we have seen some volatility from it from a cap perspective um, because there's so many things involved with EVs. So the battery technology, the chemicals, the Chinese market, if you think that most lithium um, or lithium iron as a byproduct of mining, most of that comes from the Chinese market. Um, of course, as you see the news and you, you see some of the inflammatory stuff going on in the world, um, it, it does make it bumpy. All I would say is there are enough there are enough techno technological um, uh, developments, there are enough technological breakthroughs coming that I don't think it's going to be an issue for long. Okay. So there's no more questions on the live feed. So we'll, we'll, we'll close the webinar for now. So we are contactable on our email addresses and we'll make sure that you've got a copy of those. But probably best to come through uh, the marketing web address that you've already got. We will give you a copy of the slides um, so you can go through them in, at your leisure. And I would encourage you to go and, and, and have a look at the funding guys online um, and also subscribe to the Fleet Navigator podcast. So those are being updated all the time um, with various topics, 20 minute bites so you can listen to them in the car. Um, thank you for your attention. Hopefully that was useful. Thank you very much, Caroline. Thank you, Matt. And we'll see you soon for webinar four.